This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, July 21st, 2018. This is episode 149. We have had 148 prior episodes before today. And today we're going to be talking to uh, Howie Bentley, a brand new writer, got an indie book released on Amazon. But before we do, John, how was your week? Hello. It was a good week. I haven't slept enough, but I've gamed a lot. So it balances out in the end. How about you, man? Have you got a TPK yet? Negative. Uh, I have been I've been playing in the the fifth edition adventure, Curse of Strahd. And as someone mentioned on Twitter somewhere, it, it feels a lot more like story time than a traditional D&D uh, game. But you know what? There was a haunted house. There's a crypt below the haunted house. And I am crawling that dungeon old school style. Ten foot pole and everything. The DM doesn't know what to do with me. Is it hard to get a TPK in D&D 5? It is impossible to get a TPK in, in 5. See, I've got, uh, I've got a game I've been playing. I did a review of it called State of Decay 2. So it's a sequel to the original. Oddly enough, called State of Decay. And it banks itself on being a game with permanent consequences. That is, you're not allowed to save, and as soon as anything significant happens, they save for you. So when a character dies, that character is gone permanently. You will never, ever get them back. Um, in the first game, lots of things could happen, many of them just chaotic, what they call emergent. Like, you're in a zombie apocalypse. So I sent a character into a house to do some searching for supplies. It was a really, really typical, uh, you know, typical mission the way I've done it times before. And all of a sudden, while he was in the house, a horde of zombies shows up. So there's, you know, 10 to 15 zombies shows up. And then as I'm running from them, the only way I can run is to run upstairs. My goal is to run upstairs and jump out a window because then I can escape. It'll be more difficult, but if I make it around the house to the car, then start up the car and get away. Take some damage, but it should be fine. As I get into the room to jump out the window, my character is hurting and dying. There are a bunch of zombies in the room that I didn't notice before, or honestly, that just may have been spawned there, and I can't dodge past them to get to the window, and so the character just gets killed, torn to pieces, completely at random. That's in the first game. In the second game, after playing it for a long while, I discovered that that is virtually impossible to happen. I have been, for various reasons, deliberately trying to kill characters as an experience, as an experiment. And even if you take all your equipment away, so you have no guns, no hand-to-hand -hand weapons, you send them into the most dangerous situation in the game. 
you actually have to work really, really hard to get your character killed. And it drains away the danger and hence, like, the tension of the game. That's about right. It's uh, you, you, you. In in order to get a TPK in fifth edition, you have to zero every single player's hit points at once. If if everybody falls unconscious at the same time, you're you get your kill. Otherwise, there's there's a uh, free heals. Uh, two or three classes have a a a heal that they can use to save a dying uh, party member. It doesn't even cost them their action. And the death mechanics are similar to modern death mechanics where you go to zero hit points and you go comatose and you have to make some death saves. And if you don't make your saves, you finally die. But it takes like, it takes something like six or seven combat rounds to die. And there are at wheel, no time, automatic heals. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it costs your level one spell slot to save somebody from death, and your first resurrection spell. You're 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 gonna love this. Your first resurrection spell is available as a level three spell. I'm not. I'm not one of those people who you know, often says, oh, well, that, that you've changed this rule and therefore this game isn't Dungeons and Dragons anymore. Oh, no, you've changed the speed on Falchions and therefore this game is no longer D&D. Falchions are too quick. I'm not that kind of person. But I would say that at will heals that take no time and no effort, can they be interrupted even? Absolutely not. It's a, it, it's a, it has to be on your turn, but uh, it's what 5th edition calls a bonus action. That, that's, you know, th this sort of thing has evolved over the years of D&D. &D. It's just uh, basically an action that takes very little time. Most often it's used for like a quick buff spell or, or something like that, or drawing your weapon and can be a bonus action. That sort of thing. So it's 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 a it's a level one heal, and it's a very weak heal, because the trade off is is that you just cast it, and you still get the rest of your turn. I would say, just from your description, I understand. I haven't played the game. I know that, so uh, I'm not trying to go too far beyond what knowledge I have. But I would say that the number of consequential changes that is the number of changes that mechanic would introduce to the game takes it out of the realm of traditional DD. &D. just that one change i think makes it not DD. &D. it's it is so powerful it is it is so powerful i have seen healers take it as their only level one healing spell they would they would rather heal for a fraction of the damage as a bonus action than cast a cure wounds spell because and there's one thing that that I didn't uh, I didn't explain earlier it's ranged 
you don't have to lay on hands to to cast this spell. It is it is the most amazing level one spell I've ever seen. Um. Yeah, we 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 we've taken too long on, on this subject. It's impossible to kill a party in fifth edition. And and consequently, as as my example is stated to K two shows, it drains a lot of the tension away from the game. One hundred percent. Okay. Um. Was there anything else uh, that happened this week that we should know about, or should we introduce our guest? Oh yeah, our our long suffering guest. Let's let's stop. <laughs> We we have a guest, folks. Uh, we have a guest on the show today, Howie K. Bentley, an author, and uh, we've got some reviews. He's got a book out on Amazon. We've got some reviews from some people that uh, listeners to this show may have heard of, and I will allow our guest to talk in just a second because I want to read some of these reviews. Uh, these are reviews he included in his Amazon page, uh, which are is, in my mind, a really good move for the audience he's selling for. Um, his series reminds me of 1970s sword and sorcery along the lines of Carl Edward Wagner or in Swords Against Darkness. There is a very memorable plot and secondary characters. I will remember this story in the future, which is one of the highest compliments I can give. That's Morgan Holmes on... Uh, Castalia House blog. Um, Where There Is No Sanctuary, the title of the story, by Howie K. Bentley is a real punch in the face. This might be my favorite story in the issue. A werewolf warrior cuts his way through a demonic tower that has fallen out of time. Lots of action, horror, and imagination. This is the kind of material I, that I read Kursova for. That's from Wasteland and Sky. Um, Blackgate said, Bentley's prose is good and his sense of pacing on target. He's done a good job here successfully melding mystery, creepy atmospherics, and bloodletting, creating a tale that would be right at home in one of Lynn Carter's or Andrew Offit's anthologies. I can't give a story a better commendation than that. Fletcher Riddenberg from Blackgate. And last from P. Alexander at Kursova Magazine, who says about Hallie Bentley's writing, pretty sure it gave me nightmares. Um, and, and let me tell you, folks, I, I've never met Howie before. I don't, I don't know Howie. I decided, he contacted me and said, Hey, I want to come on Geek Gab. I decided to bring him on the show just on the strength of those reviews. So you want to come on the show? I am here. Hey, Howie, welcome to the show, man. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. That, that, was, that, that was your traditional geek gab welcome. Well, that was a great welcome. So you've got a new book out, and it's I do. not a novel. Right. It's a collection of sword and sorcery tales that I've written over the last few years. Of course, two of those are new or original to the the uh, publication. Are they all set in the same setting or are they just thematically linked? They are, for the most part, they're thematically linked. Um, the only one that really isn't in the same setting, if memory serves me, is... Um, 
all will be righted on Samhain, which is set in 62 AD in uh, Britain and involves um, Boudicca's daughter, which I gave her the name Bunduica. And um, so that's the only one that's, but it, it's related thematically to the rest of the stories. It just isn't set in the same world as the rest of the stories. So you got a story into Kursova, which, uh, oh, by the way, I have, of course, a link to the book in the description underneath the video. Um, so check that out after the show. Um, how did you get a, a story into Kursova? Well, um, I just sent in, I wrote this story and I had read about Kursova that was more, I guess, more PG. And some of my stuff is kind of, I call it hard as nails, sword and sorcery. It's more along the lines of what Carl Edward Wagner did, though I don't think it's derivative. I don't try to copy him, but it's somewhat like that. It's a, it's pretty grim, pretty dark, but not grim dark, I've been told. And um, so I went ahead and I, I didn't really think they would publish it. I thought it would be a little bit too R-rated for Kursova, but um, Alex really liked it and published the story. Um, what is it that drove you to write Sword and Sorcery? In an age when epic fantasy rules the trad pub uh, publishing community, you come out with Sword and Sorcery, which was big in the 30s and the 20s and, you know, Weird Tales heyday and the stories of Conan and all of that, but fell off. Uh, when the so-called golden age of science fiction began in, uh, what, 1939, 1937. And despite various attempts to revive the genre, and despite long-running Marvel titles such as Red Sonja and Conan, um, it has not lasted long as a literary genre. At least, uh, you know, Andrew Offutt and some others tried to revive it. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, and, and it just hasn't ever seemed to catch on again with a wide audience. What drove you to write Sword and Sorcery in the face of all that? Well, I grew up in the 1980s, and there was somewhat of a resurgence there. I, I sometimes say that um, the 80s did for Sword and Sorcery with my generation, what I guess the 1950s did for my father's generation with the Western, as far as exposing them to that through the cinema. Um, I never had the, I never intended to start writing. I um, was really into heavy metal music back in the 1980s. And of course I enjoyed these things. And I read casually, I read um, the Lancer Ace, Conan the Barbarian, uh, you know, the paperbacks, the ones that uh, Sprague de Camp and Lynn Carter had edited. That was all that was available at the time. And my school library also had um, a pretty good selection of the John Carter Mars novels, though they didn't have the complete set. So, I, that's what I enjoyed reading, but I was really into metal music and playing the guitar. And um, when I uh, finally got to the point where I could form my own uh, metal band, um, I just started writing the lyrics. And that's what I gravitated toward because that's what I like to read. And I liked fantasy in music. I didn't like, you know, the, the, the whining and the politics and the hippie social issues and all that kind of thing. I liked the escapism. And uh, so I started writing that kind of stuff. And that's what I've always been steeped in. And then a, a few years back, 
DM Retzlin at uh, DMR Books had contacted me. He was putting together an anthology of heavy metal or of sword and sorcery stories written by heavy metal musicians. And I was like, well, sure, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I'd already written a story years ago and uh, it wasn't, wasn't put together really well. And uh, I sent it to a friend of mine, David C. Smith, who I admire uh, a lot as an author. And uh, he helped me out with it, revising the story and gave me a lot of editorial suggestions and whatnot. And I got my first story published in um, Swords of Steel is the name of the uh, series from DMR Books. And that was all will be righted on Sal. And that was my first story. And I kind of got hooked. I really enjoyed doing it. So I just kept writing sword and sorcery stories. Um, what is it about, uh, your stories that resonate most, most with say classic sword and sorcery tales that resonate most with classic sword and sorcery tales. Now, when you say classic sword and sorcery tales, are you talking about like the, um, Robert E. Howard stuff and the Clark Ashton Smith and that sort of thing? Sure. I mean, you, you, you've read those, I assume. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've read all that stuff. Um, over the years, I just, um, I really got into, uh, more so when I started getting attention for my lyrics in the metal band, I started going back and reading some of the authors I hadn't read, like Clark Ashton Smith. Of course, I'd read Howard when I was a teenager, read Burroughs when I was a teenager, and uh, I got into Lovecraft when I was in my early 20s, and I just always enjoyed reading that kind of stuff. As far as what resonates with those, that particular stuff from then, um, I mean, there's... I don't want to make it to seem like I'm accusing you of copying because. Oh, no, no, no. Um, what's the same as, I guess you're asking me, what, what is the same, some the elements that are similar to uh, yeah. what Howard, yeah, what Howard wrote? Well, I mean, you know, your basic sword and sorcery story is uh, the magic is usually of a malevolent nature, but, you know, you're looking at a guy like uh, Carl Edward Wagner, where his, or, or Michael Moorcock, their warriors were also, um, uh, practice black magic and, and involved in the black arts and whatnot. So I guess um, I, I kind of amped it up to that, to where with Howard's stuff, you, you choose, um, he's fearful or not fearful, but he's uh, magic is of a dubious nature. And, uh, so my stuff is not so much like that as it is more like the stuff that Wagner and Moorcock did where you do have the barbarian swordsman, but he, uh, he's also steeped in the, uh, sorcery as well. I don't know. That was a poor answer. That's about as best as I can do. Um, um, I want to, uh, put this out there um, because this is a, a, a theory I've been sort of developing for uh, a while. It's just a, it's not even a theory. It's not like a, a big, heavy literary critique. It's just a, an analysis of the feeling of some works. It seems to me looking back on it, that J.R.R. Tolkien melded um classic knightly tales of honor and virtue, uh, Dunsity tales and things like that, with uh, a Christian-influenced mythology that doesn't specifically and explicitly include Christ. 
That's a fairly conventional analysis. I think it's fairly accurate. There's a lot of evidence to support that. When I look back at Conan, the original sword and sorcery tales, the, the core tales that all sword and sorcery came from, it seems to me, and I've been reading the Old Testament real recently, so I've been reading um, David and Saul and Goliath. I've been reading Samson and Delilah. I've been reading the uh, invasion of Canaan and the conquest of Canaan, uh, all of that. And looking back on what Howard did with the Conan stories, he took that feeling of antiquity of ancient um, morality and uh, brutality, took all the Christianity out of it, took all the um, you know Hebrew religion out of it, and that's what you get with the Conan stories. The reason why they've been successful is that they touch some atavistic part of us with this kind of unconscious, um, this unconscious feeling of an ancient time where things were epic, where people were brutal and were highly motivated uh, or, or, or highly driven and passionate. And there were bad things out there. There were cults that did evil things. And Conan is a man set in this world of decadent ancient empires and such. And it's all very, very, Old Testament uh, influenced, or or you know, it, it resonates is the word I'm using, and maybe that's a maybe that's a bad word to use. Um, is uh, resonates because you know I guess that's kind of confusing, but that uh, that's just the way I I, I I I the feeling I get from reading Conan and reading the Old Testament is he built something that is emotionally evocative of the Old Testament tales without including Yahweh or Israel or their religion. Um, and so I'm just developing this. It's a it's a notion. It's not even a theory yet. Sorry, I, I had to mute you because we were getting an, an echo. And so, but you're back now. You're you're free now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for freeing me. No, um, yeah, an eye for an eye comes to mind when you uh, when you mentioned the Old Testament and, and Conan uh, in the same sentence. But uh, yeah, I can see where where you uh, where you get that. Um, it, and so that's what I think the main appeal of sword and sorcery is: is it's it's evocative of antiquity. It's evocative of the Bronze Age. And I know, I know for a fact that Conan is not set in a Bronze Age. You have people with, you know, steel swords and, and metal armor, and you have Victorian era pirates. It's a pastiche of all of these great, you know, fascinating and vibrant times. Um, but still, the the ethos, the morality, is antiquity and not, say, Arthurian. Uh, Definitely legends. That's just my notion. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, David Gimmel also, um, you have that sort of thing, more so than um, Carl Edward Wagner or Michael Moorcock and, and some of the others. But, um, yeah, I can see it's how it's what you're talking about. It's evocative antiquity. I, I haven't really thought about so much. I, I'm a poor uh, writer when it comes to doing articles and and. Um, analysis of 
this sort of thing. Um, so my apologies if I'm not uh, not uh, able to elaborate on on analyzing these things. Well, see, I know a lot of good writers, even a lot of good writers in the Pulp Revolution who don't spend any time analyzing their own writing, which is fine. I don't want to criticize that at all. In fact, most of your very successful authors don't write a lot of, uh, spend a lot of time analyzing their own stuff. They're too busy making stuff, and it's like a centipede. You know, someone asks the centipede, well, how do you keep all those legs uh, moving together? And as soon as he started to think about it, he stopped being able to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, it's like Sky Hernstrom, um, who... Uh, you know, has, has written a lot of the most loved works in the Pulp Revolution, also writes similar things. So if you haven't spent a lot of time analyzing it, that's fine. I'm not, I wouldn't criticize that. Um, oh, yeah, I understand. What is it that drives your stories? What is it that drives my stories? Yeah, um, like, you uh, can go in a lot of different directions and maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe this is, maybe these are critics' questions. Maybe these are critics' questions that I should be asking other critics who are now analyzing things. Well, when um, I am writing these stories, there's a sort of an escape for me, just like reading the stories. And uh, there's a sort of, um, uh, I would say they're testosterone driven. Uh, it's definitely male oriented stuff, but the, there's this element of rage and vengeance in these, like in metal music. And I would say if I had to point to one thing, that would probably be, that would be one one element that I could say that drives these. Um, also, being able to write this kind of stuff was a good catharsis for me, because then um, when the, when um, DM Wrestling originally contacted me, I think it was, uh, it was 2014, I just lost my wife to cancer, my wife and best friend of 27 years. And um, it was it was really a good catharsis for me to be able to get some things out and try to make sense of uh, of what happened to be able to to write. And it just came along at a, a good time. This thing did. Um, so you were mentioning magicians being this kind of suspect force in the Conan uh, mythos, and then if you take the flip side, obviously Elric of as far as I understand it, and I haven't been able to read any of the books because I've got a huge long list of things I need to read and I'm focusing on stuff I have to, uh, I'm doing direct research on right now. Um, but from what I understand, Elric of Manibane was meant to be the exact antithesis of Conan. So whereas Conan was healthy and strong, Elric is, you know, pale and, and spindly and weak. And whereas Conan opposes the evils of, uh, of magic, uh, Elric indulges in them. And he's really quite a nasty little fellow. Um, but uh, so being on that spectrum from magic is evil and suspicious and magicians are generally malign people doing things in malign ways all the way to you know oops i killed a friend and fed his soul to my sword um where, where on the spectrum do your stories usually land or maybe different but where on that spectrum do your stories usually land somewhere between i would say howard and and moorcock or wagner uh one of my characters is argentier um, Argentier Fenris or Argentier Foyla, as he's known in his homeland, which means uh, is Irish Gaelic, I understand, for a wolf man or werewolf. Uh, Argentier is 
a barbarian swordsman who eventually becomes a king, much in the same way Conan did. And he has a wolf mantle or a wolf hide that he wears. It's uh, enchanted with an incantation enables him to turn to transform into a werewolf. So he uses magic to his advantage, but he um, he's basically a good character. And, and you know, these guys in these sword and sorcery stories, even, even Conan, he's not necessarily, he's kind of self centered and, and he's really just out to survive and he has his own agenda, but he's trying to, um, he, he's usually in a situation because of some selfish deed on his part, but he always ends up doing the right thing because he's put in a position to where he has to. And I would say that my character Argentier is a lot like that. Um, more so than Elric, who is, um, Elric, it's, Elric almost strikes me as a character who has mental problems that uh, he does some really bad things and and he does some good things too, but there are a lot of bad and uh, it's because he's unbalanced. Um, so if you were to make a pitch to sell your book to the people listening, what would it be? Make a pitch to sell my book to the people who are listening? Yeah, convince um, them to buy your book. This is right. why it's awesome. Go buy it. Um, this is why it's awesome is because, well, it's, you know, it's classic sword and sorcery, but I think I put my own spin on it with the, uh, like I said, I'm, it's like the Howardian stuff where it's, um, the character is not ent entirely bad or evil, but he does some selfish things to, um, for his own agenda. Um, that, that's not a good pitch. <laughs> Let me try another one. Uh, buy my book and escape for many hours into a, a land of antiquity and wonder and magic. I don't know. I don't really know how to pitch it. I would have to sit and think and write out something, but go to my website, uh, www.howiebentley.com. And I think that should, uh, should sell the book to you. All right. Um, well, we are plummeting towards out of time here. Um, but again, there's a link to the, you know, a link to the book in the description. Um, and uh, I will get the link to your website from you uh, after the show uh, in, in the chat here and uh, add that to the description underneath the video. Um, now, I, my co-host, uh, John, has vanished. Is he back? Hello? Hey. <laughs> Actually, I've just uh, been delighted listening uh, to Howie here about his book and everything. I, I did have one thing to add, and when you were talking about what the appeal of sword and sorcery is, it reminded me of a, a wise man's quote that I found on Twitter, and, and I'll read it to you. And this is part of the appeal of sword and sorcery fiction, sort of the same lines that how you were saying earlier. Ancient men conquered cities and put them to sword and fire. Meanwhile, you go to the wine bar with your girlfriend and enjoy tasteful banter. That's what that's what we're trying to escape to. We're trying to escape to that savage time, that that Bronze Age time. And I I hope. Uh, 
I need to read this book because that sounds like a great escape. All right. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the show, uh, Howie. I uh, wish you best of luck with the book. Um, and uh, I'm, I'll be, honestly, uh, I will be looking forward to uh, more stuff from you in Kosovo and other places. Um, let's just run through some stuff, folks. We have got, uh, next week is the is when the brand new Mission Impossible movie coming out is coming out. So we'll probably be doing a review of that partially on this show and then talking about some other stuff. Um, we are trying to get together a show with uh, RPG Pundit and Jeffro uh, to come on the show uh, and debate issues of D&D. And from what I understand, looking at Google+, Plus, um, the RPG Pundit just launched a uh, another broadside against Appendix N. So I am absolutely sure that if we bring this off, that will come up in the discussion. That's right. I, I already got. I already have Pundit and Jeffro signed on for next week. They, they've they've uh, they've agreed to come on. And um, Sky Hernstrom is releasing two new books in the month of August, and we've got him scheduled for uh, tentatively scheduled for the fourth, uh, which is in just a couple of weeks, on the show to come on and talk about his new books and all the other things that are going on. And as well, um, PC Bushy and Kaiju Bushy have agreed to come on the show again um, to have some fun talking about whatever the heck things are going on. And that is honestly as far as out as we scheduled, which is impressive. That's way far out than we normally schedule things. Uh, things are usually way too hectic and people drop in and drop out and whatever. So um, those are the, what's coming up on Geek Gab. Sky Hernstrom, Kaiju Bushy and PC Bushy, the Mission Impossible Fallout, and Jeffro versus the RPG Pundit in the D&D fight of the century. So thanks you all for tuning in to Geek Gab. We're available on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. We're available on SoundCloud, on the Google Play Store, and on the iTunes Store, just to a search for Geek Gap. You can subscribe to us and listen to all our shows on the device of your choosing. If you like this video, click like. If you haven't subscribed, click subscribe. And be sure to double secret subscribe by clicking on the little bell icon so you can receive the announcements as to when we... Your hosts are going live. I want to thank everyone who uh, is listening to the show later. Thank everyone who is listening to the show live. Once again, we had some discussion in the chat, which is preserved here on YouTube for you to read. Uh, I'm excited about all the stuff that's going on. So I want to say that it's unfortunate. We are leaving you for today. But don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.